My name is Simeon. We didn't have electronics in my day. Simeon is a popular name. Many people were named Simeon or one of the tribes of Israel. As you know, my name comes from being one of the sons of Jacob, one of the tribes of Israel. Simeon was pretty popular. Sometimes it was shortened, and they just called us Simon. But my family called me Simeon. That was my name. I was reared in a devout and devoted uh, home, a Hebrew home, a home where I learned to read the Hebrew Bible. Of course, we spoke Aramaic, and we had to speak Greek and some smattering of Latin, but really I was trained with rabbis in our family. My father taught me the word of God, the law of God, and to read the Hebrew word. I was taught how to pray, and I taught to obey the law. You know, I love the law of God, so rich and perfect and true. It never leads you astray. It's always right. From a young age, I had a desire to know the Lord and to walk with him. I didn't just want to know about him. I wanted to know him. I wanted to know the Lord. And I wanted to obey him and please him and I know I could never be perfectly righteous because we've all sinned, right? We all have. And I know that I was, but I wanted to believe God. And like Abraham, our forefather, I knew that if I just believed him and tried to walk with him and trusted in him, that it would be accounted to me as righteousness. I wanted to be right and live right. And I committed myself. I said, Lord, I, want, I don't know, care what others do. And others may just go through the motions. But I'm yours. And I want to live for you with all of my heart. God blessed me. And he was with me. And, and it was the desire of my heart to see him. I prayed and prayed for his consolation, for his redemption, for the coming of the Messiah and the releasing us from our captivity and our enslavement so that we might be set free to be God's people. Can I tell you something? The Lord, he is real. He really exists and he cares about us and he loves us. And I really know God that this is what I know about him that's true. He is loving. He's abounding in loving kindness. He's steadfast in his love. He's never failing. He's just and he's true. And I trust in him. I love him. I pray. I pray God set your people free. We're not only in bondage to the Romans. We're not only in bondage to this culture we live in, but God, we're so in bondage to our sin and our iniquity. Let me tell you something that's so sweet that God's blessed me. Not only has he given us his word and he's given us worship, and I love the temple, being with the people of God and worshiping God, but the Holy Spirit of God, he walks with me. He moves me. He speaks to me. He leads me, and I listen to him. And sometimes he moves me to encourage other people or say words from the word of God. He comforts me, and he strengthens me, and he's with me. 
Do you know him? Oh, man. Why, it just means everything to me. And I remember one day I was in worship, and, and I was worshiping the Lord, and it was a priority in my life. I didn't just do worship when it was convenient. I made it a priority in my life. I regularly went to the temple and worshiped, and I regularly went and prayed, and I brought my offerings, and I brought my sacrifices. But I also went to synagogue, and at synagogue I learned the word, and I was taught the word and encouraged in the word. So I was in smaller groups, but in larger groups. And I, I was growing and walking with the Lord all of my life. And one day I remember I was caught up in worship and I was meditating on a psalm where David said, Lord, help me to know my end. And as I was meditating on that thought, it was just like the Holy Spirit said in my ear, Simeon, You're not going to die until you see him. You're going to die, but you're not going to die until you see him. You, Simeon, will personally see the Lord's Messiah. I didn't know what to do. I was can you say that again? Are you sure? But I, I knew it was the Lord. And I knew that it was true. That I would see the anointed, the son of David, the rescuer, the deliverer. And I wondered when. And as the years and years went on, I wondered, but how? I know it's true, but when would this happen? And how would I recognize him? And then I thought about Abraham and Sarah. God made them a promise too, didn't he? Do you remember how old they were when he made them the promise? He made them a promise when Sarah was 90. And Abraham was older, nearly 100. And he told Sarah, you're going to have a baby. And she said, yeah, <laughs> she was laughing. Because I'm kind of dead inside and he's kind of shriveled up. How's this going to happen? And she laughed. And you know what? God answered. And they had a baby. And they named him Isaac. means laughter. I believed God. I wondered when why I would see him, but I knew that I was going to see him. Amen. God is always true, and his words are always true. God told David that there would be descendants on his throne forever. God's word is true. Can I tell you about that day? I'll never I will never, as long as I live, that may not be long now, I will never forget that day. That day I walked into the temple. And as I walked into the temple, I was there to worship the Lord. It was a day kind of like any other day when I would go to worship. I could sense God's presence speaking to me, the warmth, the excitement to pray and commune with the Lord. 
I went to the temple to worship and to pray and to give my offering and make my sacrifices. And, and it was there in the outer court and then also in the court of women that I saw this young couple. They kind of caught my eye. Obviously, they, were, they just had a new baby. <laughs> and it was just so obvious. You can just see the glow on that little mama and that young daddy. And they were young. I don't know. She might have been 15, 16 years old. And I, maybe he's 17, 18. They were not your educated class. They were working class people. You could tell by the rough hands that he was involved in construction of some sort. And as I saw them, they had this little bundle of joy in their arms, and they were just aglow. They had carrying with them two little pigeons. They were bringing a sacrifice that poor people bring for purification. I wondered, I thought, well, that baby's probably 40 days old. And as I was watching them, and it was not unusual to see young couples in the temple bringing their offering at four, with a 40-day-old baby. Because that was what the law told us to do. It was a cleansing ceremony because there was an unclean thing that happened as the mother gave birth and all of the blood and the birthing of a child. And, and so you would come and you would bring an offering for cleansing. And so the two of them together that shared in that birth experience needed to bring an offering for their own cleansing. They said they were from staying in Bethlehem, but their accent sounded Galilean to me. Later, I found out really Nazareth was their home. But they had been in Bethlehem. That was David's city. Oh, that's the city of the Messiah. As they were getting ready to present their offering to the Lord, their act of devotion as parents, it was also an act of worship to bring the firstborn, not only the firstborn, but you remember when a firstborn child was born, that whenever a child opens the womb and a firstborn is born, then you need to bring an offering of redemption, of devotion to God. Why? Well, because you remember the story, the book of Exodus. Well, you Gentiles, maybe you don't know, but listen. God delivered his children, all of us, from Egypt in bondage. And he did it by killing the firstborn in all of Egypt, except for those that were underneath the blood. And our firstborn were rescued and spared and saved. And God said, after the exodus, his salvation, so that you never forget, the firstborn is mine, and you shall redeem it by offering sacrifice for the firstborn. So that you never forget, you are my firstborn child because I redeemed you, Israel. And you will bring an offering for your firstborn. And so they were bringing an offering of redemption. And they brought the offering and presented it to the Lord. And when I saw them and I watched them, I heard his voice again. Simeon, I said, oh, I know that voice. Go to them. I always wondered, how will I recognize this Messiah? 
the Lord's anointed. Would he be born in a rabbi's family? Would he be a fearsome, powerful prophet coming in like Samuel? Would he be a stately head and shoulders taller than any other man like Saul, a warrior? Would he be a brave, young, ruddy young man like David? How would I recognize him? Would he be heralded in by troops and come in, or would it be some political movement? But I was nudged by the Holy Spirit. You see that couple? Look closely. As I looked closely, I said to myself, Lord, he's just a simple carpenter. How could he be the Messiah? And he nudged me again. Look closer. And I looked. And I saw a baby. And when I looked at the baby, the Holy Spirit said, that's him. <laughs> I get goosebumps still, man. It was awesome. I didn't know what to do. I saw him. All I could think about was something that Paul would write later in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law and we might receive adoption as sons. Amen. I went to the couple. They let me hold him. The Holy Spirit said, this child is Messiah. Wow, amazing. And I wanted to say, no way. But you don't say no way to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I looked in the eyes of the baby and the Holy Spirit. He's the one. My son. My anointed. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of y'all don't believe in the Holy Spirit. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I'll tell you, why don't you just fill me up? I, I wanted to shout. <laughs> I wanted to raise my hands. I wanted to dance. I wanted to sing. I wanted to sing. I've never sung in anybody's choir. I wanted to praise. I wanted to raise my hands. I wanted to cry. I wanted to laugh. I was just trembling. I didn't know what to do. And then I thought, I want to sing. We sang our song today. I've never been a poet or a songwriter. And the one song I did write doesn't have a really nifty title. The Latin people named it Nunc Dimittis. means... Now you can leave. That's usually what happened after I would sing. And as I began my song, the words flowed out of my mouth, and I knew it was God's Spirit. And the first words were, Master, Sovereign Lord, I'm your servant, I'm your slave, and you are my master, you're my king, you're my leader, you're my authority, you're my ruler, 
I live my life for you. Lord, now I can depart in peace. Dismiss your servant. Dismiss me. Turn me loose. <laughs> Sounds like Merle Haggard, I know. Turn me loose. Let me go somewhere in the middle of Montana. But that's a different song. He said, dismiss your servant. I'm ready to go. What I'm really meant, I think, oh, I'm okay to die now, God, because it can't get better than this. I kind of felt a little bit like Paul, who later would write, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I just felt like, I don't know. I, it reminded me a little bit about how Jacob's was. Remember when Jacob, who thought he had lost Joseph and they had died, he was presumed dead, and he went all of those years, and then the other sons of Jacob went to Egypt to get bread, and, and then they came back home, and God kept Simeon. You remember the story? And then how that they said, you got a younger brother, and you got to send him. They sent the younger brother. And you, you remember the whole story and how that Joseph kind of played with him a little bit, and then Joseph revealed himself to the brothers. You remember that story? And remember when they went back and they told the old man, Israel, Jacob, Jacob, Daddy, you won't believe it. Joe, Joseph's is alive. And the man whose heart was never consoled, that was always in grief, all of a sudden, when his son said, it's true, Dad. Joseph's alive, and he's a ruler in Egypt, and he's going to take care of us. All of a sudden, all I could say was, Israel said, all Israel could say was, it's enough. It is enough to know that my son is alive. And there was consolation. I kind of felt like that that day. I'd longed all my life to see the Lord's anointed. And when I saw him, I said, it's enough. You can let me go. The word dismiss really means to untie, to unmoor, to let loose. Paul later would say it. The time of my dismissal is at hand. But I'm ready to go. I've run the race. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. And I know there's a crown of righteousness for me, but not only for me, but all those who loved is appearing. Amen. It's the very same word Paul used as Simeon, as I used that day in my song. The grief of my heart and the joy was now filled and I felt the consolation of Israel beginning. Hmm. Why? Because my eyes have seen thy salvation. Can I let you in on something real important? Salvation is all God's work from the beginning to the end. It's thy salvation, not mine. It's not from a regular man and it's not from politicians. Some of y'all may not know this, but a politician can't save you. There should have been more than one little amen in there. And a warrior can't save you. And a government can't save you. And war machines can't save you. 
but salvation comes from God. And there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved but in the one that God's provided, and that's Jesus. It says salvation that you've prepared it. Did you know he prepared it? He did. Listen, Joseph and Mary kind of told me this story. It is amazing how God prepared it. Joe said, yeah, it was unbelievable. Whenever I found out that Mary was expecting, I didn't know what to do because we hadn't been together and we weren't married yet. And I thought, how can this be? And I wondered about it and I thought, well, I'll just put her away. She might be, un- has been unfaithful. Obviously something's wrong. And, and then an angel of the Lord appeared to me in a dream. And he said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son. And you, Joe, will name him Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. And then I realized... This was fulfillment of the prophecy. A virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And you'll name him Emmanuel, God with us. Salvation has been prepared by God. Mary said, that's right. Because the angel of the Lord appeared to me, scared the socks off of me. He said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. I was so troubled. Don't be afraid, Mary, this angel said. You found favor with God. Now listen, you'll conceive and give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high, and I'll give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. She said, well, how in the world can that be? We've not, I've not been with a man. And she, he said, the angel Lord said to me, I'll never forget it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. He prepared salvation. It was all his work. God provided it. He provided it for all the people. And that was in my song too, for all people. It's prepared for all people, not just Jewish people. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Magi that were in the east, hundreds of miles away, saw his star from the east. And they came to worship him. He was a light, a light To the Gentiles, light exposes and shines on the truth. The Bible says those who sat in darkness will see a great light. Jesus is the light of the world. And a glory. The word glory is the word doxa. That's where we get the word doxology from. It's glory. And the glory of your people Israel. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod. And you remember God's judgment on Samuel's family. 
And one of the children would name Ichabod, means the glory's departed. Kabod means the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God, the presence of God. When the children of Israel built the tabernacle, the fire and the pillar of cloud and the fire moved with them. And then when they built the tabernacle, it was over the tabernacle. When the glory moved, the people would break down the tent and move. It was the glory of God leading them, guiding them with them. It was the presence of God. When the temple was destroyed... And we were taken away in captivity. Ezekiel saw the glory moving away from the temple. And the glory was never brought back by God in the restored temple. But like John says later, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word became flesh, and we beheld his doxa, his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the glory of God. Wow. Well, that was my song. Lord said, don't want you to bless this couple. And so I gave him a blessing. I said, this child is appointed. And he's appointed for the rise of many in Israel. And he will be a sign that's opposed. I think about the prophet, what he said, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes will not be disappointed. But for those who disbelieve, the stones the builders rejected became the very capstone, cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Many will oppose him, but many will believe in him. And those who believe will rise but those who disably stumble and fall. It's at the name of Jesus that many are saved, but also at the name of Jesus that there's anathema because they reject him. But when you reject him, it's not that you've judged Jesus. Really, it's that you've judged yourself unworthy. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. The early church said, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. In Jesus there's life, but you reject Jesus' death. And I told the woman when I looked at her, you'll experience pain like a sword in your own heart. And like a sword divides, so your son will be. And I looked at the young girl and I said, I know you love this boy with all of your heart. But you remember what God said to the first woman. From your seed will come one who will be bruised on his heel, but will crush the serpent. And that is who your son will be. Wow.
That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. I know I saw him. I've seen the Messiah with my own eyes. And I was never the same. Peace came into my life. Real peace. My life has meaning like never before. And I was ready to go. And all I could say after that was, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. But until I die, I'm going to tell everybody. And I don't know whether soon or far away, I'm going to live my life for the Messiah. My life will never be the same. And I'm ready to go. After Simeon, that wonderful old man, sang his song of praise and blessed God so publicly in, in, for the coming of the Christ, many that were in the temple that day took notice. Those who were there regularly they, in the temple, they knew him to be a reputable man of God and, and trusted his testimony. And there was one woman there in particular, who, who seemed uh, to be a staple at the temple, always to be there. And she knew Simeon well. And she was an aged widow and a prophetess named Anna. And when Anna heard Simeon's prophetic blessing to this couple and this baby, she received that blessing with great joy and gratitude. And she went around and she, she went to the others that she knew, like herself and like Simeon, who, who were desperately longing for the redemption of God's people. And she told them about the child. I want you to hear from her as well. So Anna, would you come share your story? I'm Anna, the daughter of Thaniel, and I'm from the tribe of Asher. Most people know me as the prophetess. That's just not an honored title. It's a calling. God called me, a woman, to speak on behalf of him to others, to say what he's revealed to me regarding himself and his will. The scriptures say, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets, and in my case, the prophetess. You might have noticed that I'm, well, advanced in years. Luke says several times about my age, but we won't talk about that. Yet I introduce myself as Daniel's daughter. You see, I'm also a widow. I lost my husband after only seven years of marriage, so my father outlived my husband. So I know, I know the pain of loss and the grief that comes from unfulfilled dreams. I understand feelings of emptiness, loneliness, loss of identity, and security. 
As a young widow, I could not seek financial support from my own family or my husband's family, which left me with very few options. But I sensed God's calling in my life, so I answered. I surrendered my life in service to him. And instead of following the custom of of remarriage to another man, I chose instead to marry myself to God. I chose to take my grief and offer it as a sacrifice to God. I chose to serve him night and day, praying and fasting and serving in the temple. I chose to embrace the life God called me to and not be filled with bitterness or emptiness, but be filled with hope and life. I've never once regretted that decision to give my life in service to God. In the words of Isaiah, my maker is my husband. In him, I found purpose, belonging, and identity. I lived in the temple. I was at every festival, every high holy day, and spent many hours listening to the reading and teaching of Scripture. I became very knowledgeable of his word, and God began to speak to me by the power of his Holy Spirit through various ways, giving me revelation and instruction that I was to deliver to his people. I knew the promises in Scripture, and I understood that salvation from sin and future blessing of Israel depended on the coming of a Messiah. So I prayed night and day and fasted for his coming. Many of us prayed and waited and expected the redemption of Israel. Day after day, decade after decade, I spent praying, fasting, and serving in the temple. What would I pray for? I was praying for God's redemption his redemption plan. I would pray for the thousands of people that would fill the temple. They were tired. They were oppressed. They were in need of deliverance. So many people. Just imagine the scene. Close your eyes and imagine it. The roar of voices, singing, laughter, crying, sounds of prayer, sounds of coins hitting in the treasuries, the bleeding of sheep, the chirping of birds, all this as men and women streamed and children streamed into the courts of women, bringing their sacrifices and offerings day after day. When? When would God fulfill his promises? When would he send this Redeemer? Have you ever waited or longed for something? Well, it was a day, not unlike others, when I was at the temple praying and fasting, and I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to move toward a young couple with a baby. They were poor. How did I know that? Because every firstborn son must be redeemed. And the required sacrifice was a lamb and a turtle dove. 
If they could not afford that, then they could offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. This couple brought two turtle doves as redemption price for their firstborn, indicating they were without much money. Jesus would grow up without means. Therefore, he knew what it was like to be poor. As I drew closer, I saw Simeon holding the baby, praising God as he was talking with the young couple, Joseph and Mary. It was at that moment I recognized him. The Holy Spirit revealed God's redemption plan to me. Everything that I had been praying for and waiting for, all my expectations were wrapped up in that babe named Jesus. My heart was pounding. As I got closer and I looked on his face, I knew I was looking into the face of God. Simeon was holding prophecy in his arms. I was not only a prophetess, but like Simeon, I was a witness. The Holy Spirit revealed to us that this baby was God in the flesh, our Redeemer. In that moment, I heard the bleeding of a lamb. And as I looked at that sweet baby's face, I wondered. God was revealing to me something about the suffering that would await him. Still, joy filled my heart because I knew that this was the long-awaited Messiah. Hope had arrived. Then I began to give thanks to God. I began shouting the words of the prophet Isaiah, Be joyful! Rejoice together, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has sent a redeemer for Jerusalem. I was telling all those looking for the redemption of Jerusalem that he is here. This baby Jesus, he's the one that we've been waiting for. He's the one we've been watching for. He's here. All the years of waiting, watching, praying, fasting for the Messiah are over. The firstborn that was to be redeemed would be the Redeemer. Mary may not have been able to purchase a lamb, but she delivered the Lamb of God who would one day purchase her. I began to come undone, and that's dangerous at my age. I had to tell everyone I couldn't keep silent. That's what you do with good news, right? You tell everyone. So from that day on, I began telling everyone who'd been waiting for the rescue of Jerusalem that their waiting was over. God had kept his promise. God still keeps his promises. God still speaks through men and women, even old ones like me. To, procru- to proclaim the good news about him. For unto us a child was born. Unto us a son was given. Jesus, our Messiah. So, that's my story. That's how 
I saw my Savior. How about you? Do you know Jesus? When I interviewed and researched and wrote down these accounts so that I could share them with you all, and in my account, I know you guys sometimes just call it by my name, Luke, but I called it the good news. This is all good news. I loved hearing these stories from Mary and others who knew these faithful saints, Anna and Simeon. They had been waiting with expectancy and with hope I could, I could feel their joy with them, with their longings fulfilled. But my story was different. I was hopeless. Sure, I had a decent career as a doctor. But even in that work, I saw firsthand how feeble our attempts at fixing what's wrong with people really are. And even though I didn't know what I was waiting for, like Simeon did, and like Anna did, I did know that I was longing. For something, something else, something more. I knew the world was broken. I knew I was broken. I knew a better healing is necessary. And then I heard of Jesus of Nazareth, the Jewish prophet and healer who was killed by the Romans. But his followers, they talked about him like he was still alive, like he was more than just a man. They talked about how he, he healed many people's bodies, but more than, than that, he healed their souls. And how he even came through death itself into a new and greater life, the ultimate healing and hope. And the Jews, I'd always known them to be respectable people, but never very open to people like me. But these Jesus followers were different. So different, they started to be called by another name, called them Christians, because they said that Jesus was the Christ, not only of the Jews, but of the whole world. And I had to know more. I asked so many questions of these Christians. And somewhere along the way, I just kept investigating and, and asking, and I, I realized I wasn't just curious. I was drawn. I was getting to know someone I loved. I, too, was a Christian. I had the hope of Simeon and Anna in this man who is God, whose death was for me, whose life is for me. And that's why I wanted you to know their stories. Because in a way, we are all like Simeon now. I remember, I'll, I'll never forget when I first met Mary, uh, you know, Jesus's mom, she, a woman of profound faith and of profound patience, telling me again these stories that she's probably told so many times. But repetition had not dulled their power. I could still, I could see her eyes gleam with wonder when she told me about that prophecy in the temple, about Simeon. And the promise from God that he would see the coming Christ. And I could feel his joy with him when he saw the child and said that now he can depart in peace. As a physician, I've seen many people depart, but rarely in peace. But Jesus teaches that as we see him, we too can depart in peace. 
my mentor and the uh, Apostle Paul, he once said, we can behold him even now with the eyes of our hearts. He said that through having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? You can know him. You can behold him. And like Simeon, you can depart in peace. But also like Simeon, we've been given a promise that we will see the Christ come to restore and redeem his people in creation. So we too wait with longing and expectation. May we all be like Anna and how she responded to that. Waiting with devotion and hope, but also like her, gratefully telling of his coming. Let me pray for you. Our Father, we thank you for sending your Son. We thank you for fulfilling your promises and promising even more. We hope with expectancy and with joy in seeing you fulfill those promises. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may really know the hope to which you have called us and the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe. That you can give us peace, peace with God and a peace that surpasses understanding. Give that peace through faith to us all, everyone in this room this morning. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, this morning, <clears throat> I hope that your heart's been touched as we looked at this story together and in a first-person way, in a more dramatic way. I want you to listen closely. The coming of Jesus Christ as Messiah is true. And it's life-changing, and it's saving. But if you reject him, you're lost. He came as a light. The Bible says, and this is judgment, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. You love your sin more than you love a savior. You reject the light because you want the darkness. And the end of darkness is death and hell. But there's good news for you today. The Bible says he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. And he came to his own, but those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right 
become the children of God. Those who believe in his name. Jesus came and died for your sins and for mine. We're going to take the Lord's Supper now and as deacons are standing in their positions. I'm going to ask you today as you take this table, this bread and juice that you believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ died for you. You're trusting him personally as your Lord and Savior. Very famous artist Rembrandt painted at least twice, maybe more, the scene of Simeon. This is the first one. It's a well-known piece of art. It's a masterful piece. He's in a large, it's kind of dark. He's in, you see from a distance, Simeon and the baby, the mother, Simeon giving a blessing. There's people in the dark that you see up close. This painting by Rembrandt. It was when he was 25. His hand is sharp. The image is beautiful. But later, as an old man, he painted the scene again. And this time, he's holding the child. And this time, the light is on him and the child. And at this time, he's saying as an old man, I know him personally. All the difference is whether you know him personally, not about him, but know him. Have you trusted him? Have you put your faith in him? Father in heaven, as we prepare to take this supper today, I pray that we wouldn't go through just the motions, but if there's somebody here that's never trusted Christ, never repented of sin, I pray that today they would say, dear God in heaven, I don't want to just know about you. I want you. God, forgive me. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he rose again. I give my life to you. Save me. Lord, I trust in you. In Jesus' name.